We walked into the nursery and it was cold and white and sterile. But in the middle of the room was one of those little clear cribs with a little tiny baby boy wrapped up in the stiff starch white hospital blanket. And my husband and I just bent over that little crib and stared. And we just knew, we knew that this was our son. However, we became aware of the situation around us. The fact that there was police protection outside the nursery door was a red flag, that this was going to be a long adoption process. Hey guys, it's Carly. And this is Jade. Welcome to Mommy's Tell All. This is one of our favorite episodes we do every month. This is our birth story episode, but these are your birth stories. So we actually had y'all, our listeners, call in, tell us their birth stories on our voicemail, and we get to listen to them. Um, We actually have not heard these until we're basically hearing them with you, which is exciting. Um, Our producer heard them first, and then she is going to play them for us. So that's kind of how this whole thing works. And then we're going to talk about them afterwards. So this is very exciting. I think we have three today, and then we're going to be also doing a few of our uh, Dear Mommies questions that we didn't get to um, the previous week. So fun episode coming at you right now. I think we should just go for it. What do you think, Jade? Yes. I want to hear all the births. (laughs) You always do. (laughs) Hi, my name is Kim, and this is my birth story. My now almost two-year-old daughter had come into the world fairly quickly, so when I had gone into labor with her, I pretty much knew that my second child would come pretty fast. She came so quickly, in fact, that while I was trying to get an epidural, The nurse checked me and said, nope, you aren't getting an epidural, honey. The baby's head is right there and you're fully dilated. Because of this, my OBGYN said my second child would most likely come even faster, but I had no idea it would be this fast. So Saturday morning, December 26, 2020, I woke up at 9 a.m. and felt some weird pains in my cervix. I said, okay, well, I guess I'm up for the day. Came downstairs, sat on the couch, and I had a contraction. I realized that this was not like the practice contractions that I had been having for the weeks prior. So I got my fiance up and told him he better call his mom and tell her to get ready to come watch our daughter because I think today is the day. My contractions were 12 minutes apart. So after a little while, say around 1030-ish, they started coming faster. They were maybe seven minutes apart at that point. So I called my doctor Yeah, he said I better just come in because the weather was so horrible that it might take me a while to get there. We were in the middle of a winter storm, of course, and in Buffalo, that's no joke. He said he would call the hospital to let them know I was coming, and I asked him if it was normal to go from contractions 12 minutes apart to six, seven minutes apart so fast, and he said that that was a good thing, and I said, okay, well, you know, do you think I'm going to make it there in time? Do you think that I'll get stuck on the way there? Do you think I have time to make it? And he said, yeah, you should have plenty of time. So at that point, I got off the phone with him. I went to the bathroom and I had another contraction. And I realized that my body felt different. I felt very ready to push. 
So I got very afraid. <laughs> and at that point, my contractions were about three minutes apart. I yelled for my fiance and I told him he better call 911 because I didn't think I was going to make it. He called and I stayed on the toilet because I was afraid to get up. The firemen got there really quickly. Um, they helped me get to my feet and they helped me to get to the dining room and they laid me on the floor. They laid out my brand new comforter that I had just gotten from my fiance's mother for Christmas the day before. They laid it out on the floor for me and they had me lay down. So there I am in nothing but my Slipknot t-shirt and my slippers, eight firemen standing around me and I was terrified. I was having contractions about one minute apart at that point and they were waiting for the ambulance to come and they said that whenever I felt like pushing to push. So I did. It was a very strange experience to really not have much coaching, just to kind of go off of what your body was telling you to do. Nonetheless, um, I asked them to hold my legs for me. I pushed three times and there was my beautiful son. I'll never be able to explain the feeling of fear, excitement, joy, and disbelief at what had just happened. Everyone was telling me how amazing I did, but I was just so in shock. They wrapped my son in foil to keep him warm and had my fiance hold him while they got me up off the floor. They wrapped me in blankets and put me in a stretcher chair and had to carry me down the front steps of my house. <laughs> All of the neighbors were outside at this point too. They transferred me to a stretcher in the driveway and put me in the ambulance. It was pretty much a blizzard outside at that point. They brought the baby to me and we took a very slow ride to the hospital. And when I got to the hospital, the nurses were joking with me and saying, this isn't a BYOB type of situation. You're not supposed to have the baby come with you. You're supposed to have the baby here. That was pretty funny, but I said, what are you going to do? He wanted to be here and he wasn't going to come any slower than he did. I definitely never in a million years thought that my delivery would happen this way. And I never thought I'd have my baby at home. It was scary, but awesome. And I cannot thank those firemen enough. Whoa, Jade, does that bring back some hardcore <laughs> memories right there? <laughs> There's a, a lot of similarities, like some of the feelings and just even some of the events. I'm just like, yeah, I know exactly how that felt in certain ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just I, that was just so crazy to me. Like, obviously, when I heard your story where you had a baby like in your closet. It's like the same thing, but her first off, that's sad for her new comforter. Like I'm sad about it. <laughs> like, can I get you a new comforter? Please email me and I will get you one. I feel like that's one of the biggest fears when you're having a baby is like, am I going to have this before I get to the thing that I plan to do? Right. Whether it is having a home birth or going to the hospital or whatever. It's like, is that going to be interrupted by the baby just like coming out? You know, so yeah, I mean, because like a lot of people who've had home births, like planned home planned home births, have still delivered on their own before their midwife got there. You know, mm -hmm. it's happened yeah. that way too. Yeah, that, I mean, those kind of stories are just so crazy to me because I obviously had like such a different story, and I think about, I mean, I one, I think about not having an epidural, and I just like get instant panic. How <laughs> the, the doctor's just like, oh yeah, that's nor that's great that it's you know they're going from. They're going half half seas so fast, you know, like from what did she say, 14 minutes to seven or 12 to six, whatever. She yeah, had. 12 like, to seven. That's like 
that's that's traveling fast. And yes, that is a good thing until it's like so fast that it's unpredictably fast. Yeah. I'm, and in a winter storm, oh gosh. That's the part that was like making me like, whoo, like thinking about- Like what's going to happen. Your labor moving that quickly and then watching a blizzard outside, <laughs> you know, and yeah, that's a lot. But it sounds like- um, you know, everything, he was a healthy baby and, um, she was able to see a little bit of the humor in it and yeah, it's later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's an awesome story to tell. And yes, rest in peace to your comforter. <laughs> I know. I know. Serious. That's a, that's a very sad part of the whole story, but, um, I'm glad everything, obviously your health is super important in all of this. And it seems like everybody's healthy and doing well now. So that's great. But what a story to tell. I mean, think about it. Most people don't have that story. That's pretty cool. All right, shall we move on to our second birth story? Yes. Okay, let's do it. My name is Trish. I'm from Saline, Michigan, and I am the foster adopt mom to three children ages 11, 11, and 15. I knew that I wanted to foster adopt since the time I was 16. So when I met my husband and I told him my dream and he did not even flinch, I knew that he was the man for me. A couple years after we got married, we thought maybe it was time to start our family. And so we went to an informational meeting that the state's Department of Youth and Family were holding about foster care and adoption. After that, we took the classes to become certified foster parents. And about a month afterwards, we received a phone call that said, are you ready to receive your first placement? So we hurried up and got an extra bedroom already. My husband literally spent the entire night putting together these bunk beds from hell. And in the next morning, we received a phone call. And my husband took the phone call and all I could hear was him saying, yes, yes, yes. And the minute he was done on that phone call, I jumped him and I said, what is going on? And he said, we have our first placement. It's a newborn. It's a baby boy. And he's going to be born sometime in the middle of October. That's all we knew. We didn't even know a due date because there had been zero prenatal care. So we had three weeks to get a nursery ready, tear down those bunk beds, paint, and get everything we needed for a newborn. Our family and friends flew in to help us, and it was incredible, the community that came together. So it's now October 20th. It's my birthday. I had my phone in my hand the entire day at work because I just had a feeling that today was going to be the day, and it never rang. So the next day, October 21st, I was at work and trying to focus when my phone rang. And it was a social worker. And she said, the baby's born and I need you to come to the hospital right away. So I called my husband. I ran out of my office. I think I yelled something to my boss. I don't even remember if I closed my office door. And we rushed to the hospital. And when we got to the hospital, we told the nurses who we were. And they had tears in their eyes. And they escorted us back to the nursery. We walked into the nursery and it was cold and white and sterile. But in the middle of the room was one of those little clear cribs with a little tiny baby boy wrapped up in the stiff starch white hospital blanket, little chubby cheeks and blue eyes peeking out at us. 
And my husband and I just bent over that little crib and stared. We must have stared so long because the nurse finally said, you can touch him, you know? So we picked him up and cuddled and fed him. And we just knew, we knew that this was our son. However, we became aware of the situation around us. The fact that there was police protection outside the nursery door was a red flag that this was going to be a long adoption process. See, when the child was finally born and the state went to the judge to get custody, the bio mother protested and became violent and made threats to kidnap the baby. And her and her husband actually had a whole plot on how they were going to kidnap this child from the hospital. The police were called in. And when it was finally time for us to leave the hospital with our son, we filled out the paperwork and the nurse gave it back to me and said, I put the wrong birth date. And I said, no, the baby was born the day before on my birthday. We share a birthday. Now, if that's not a sign from God that this is our son, I don't know what is. Well, the police escorted us out to our car and had a whole plan on how we were to leave the property and that they were going to follow us to make sure we were safe. It was crazy, crazy stuff. The first place we went after the hospital was my husband's grandmother who lived down the street. And we wanted to go to her first because she too was adopted. And as she held her great grandson, And the connection was there. We knew without a doubt, this is our child. This is our son. Now, it took more than three years for our adoption to be finalized. The court case became very messy, very drawn out, very political. It was insane. And for three years, I lived in fear that my son was going to be taken out of my arms that he would be removed from our house every time the phone rang and it was the lawyer, I would have a panic attack. I was so afraid, but I kept going back to that idea of this is my son and these are the signs that confirm it and we are going to be strong and hold out. So when that adoption day finally came around more than three years after his birth and his siblings were in the same adoption ceremony in front of that judge There were tears of joy. He was our forever family, my forever son. And I knew that our family was just beginning. However your family forms, whether it's through foster care or adoption or traditional birth stories, it's your story. It's your gifts, your blessings. And I'm grateful that this is my story. Wow. That was cool. That was unexpected. Yeah. Um, I love that it was unexpected and different. And it just, like she said, it just shows that families are born in all sorts of different ways. But yeah, I love that she um, talked about fostering and how that was her son's birth story and the way she became a mother and how that was something that she knew at a younger age that that was something she wanted to do and how she found mm-hmm. she found a partner who didn't second guess her, her path and supported yeah. her and now they have this beautiful family so I, I love when she was talking about just like staring over the baby and they're like you can touch <laughs> you can touch him <laughs> he's yours yeah yeah because I can imagine you're just like wow like look at you. And then you're like, oh yeah, you're like real. 
<laughs> I love that we're getting a lot of different birth stories on here as well. Like she said, you know, yours might not be the traditional birth story, but like every family happens the way it happens. And children are meant, you know, to to be with the parent that they're supposed to be with. I'm happy that hers, you know, I mean, that was obviously a long process of adoption, but how her family came together is really beautiful. And she's obviously really strong for all of the things that they went through to even make that happen. So that was that was a good one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, I think we have one more. Um, my name is Valerie Cripps. Um, I'm in Oregon. I'm 37 years old. And I'm going to tell you the story of my firstborn. Um, he was born October 12th, 2016. Um, but it all started on um, October 11th. So the night before I had my son, a friend and I went out um, for um, dinner and a movie, kind of like a last hurrah, I guess, before being busy with a uh, newborn. It was my firstborn. Um, we went to dinner first. It started then. I was having some back pain. Just thought it was maybe um, gas or um, I was almost 39 weeks pregnant. So I just thought maybe it's just pregnancy pains. After a really good meal, we went to go see a movie. And I remember like it was yesterday. It was uh, uh, The Girl on the Train. I read the book, was really excited about the movie. We get into the movie and pretty much as soon as the movie starts, I start having um, really bad cramping. At the time, I thought it was um, gas. <laughs> I just, it, but it was like constant. Um, I it, I couldn't breathe every few minutes during the movie. And I, I sat like that. I, did, I went through that um, for the entire movie. So then we leave and I turn to my friend and I said, I think I might be going in labor. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, and I think it started like before the movie even started. And she's like, what? Why Why did you sit through the movie? It's like, I thought it was gas. And so we get into her car, go to the hospital. I thought I was going to be sent home. I thought it was false. And uh, before I got to the hospital, I was counting my contractions and it was every two minutes. So I knew it was probably time to go into the hospital anyways. So they check they check my blood and they do run some tests to see if, see what's going on and see if I needed to be there. Um, they came back to me and said, well, um, you have preeclampsia. So throughout this whole pregnancy, I had high blood pressure and I knew something, I knew that was off, but the nurses kept telling me that that's normal, which I found out later that it's not normal. And so I go in and I ask them, it's like preeclampsia. Don't, you don't usually find, figure that out. Um, pretty, uh, Early on, it's like, no, sometimes you just, at the tail end, you get it. So they kept me. They kept me there. They had put, gave me some antibiotic or some kind of medication, hooked me up. Husband got there um, a couple hours later because um, I didn't want him to come in if I was having false labor, but he came in. My husband is sensitive to smells, anything gross, poop, anything. So I knew going into this labor and this birth that it was probably going to be a little bit rough for him. So he comes in. He has my his mother-in-law come in as well, which at that point I, I was kind of seeing stars and in so much pain that I didn't even realize she came in the room. But we get things started. The nurses come in. My water hadn't broken at this point. But I do remember the nurse coming in and lifting me up off of the bed to kind of 
sit me on the side of the bed versus laying down. And that's when I felt, felt my water break. And, and then the smell, the smell is at that moment, I didn't know this, but my, the, my son pooped in the, in the sack. So that smell was coming. My husband was standing right next to the bed. And as soon as that happened, I told my husband, get out of here. <laughs> because I didn't want him to throw up on me. Um, Cause again, he can't stand smells and then you think gross. So he goes to the other side of the room and the a nurse puts a mask on his face and puts a, a strawberry smelling sticker on his face. So he didn't smell anything. So because of the baby pooped in the sack, they was like, oh, so they're, they're in distress. We got to get moving. Fast forward to um, the uh, pushing stage. So I pushed and pushed and pushed, I think about three hours. At this point, it was early morning. I was going through labor for a very long time um, before the actual pushing. Um, I did get an epidural. The pain was so bad. And so that eased some things. And I was able to get some sleep. And then um, as the epidural was wearing off is when I started to push. Um, and that helped because the contractions weren't so bad for me to push. So I could feel it coming. So push for about three hours. The doctor comes in or the OB comes in and, and says to me, um, well, we can either use the vacuum or do a C-section because he's not doing very well and there's it's not progressing. Um, I chose not to do the vacuum and went straight to C-section. So they got me all set up, got me in, got him out. He was born um, 10, 12, 16 at around noon. Um, and so when they pulled him out, they gave him to my husband and said, okay, we'll stitch up. She'll be done in an hour. Well, he was in the hallway or in the waiting room waiting for me. And it was a couple hours. Um, I didn't know this at that point because I was completely out of it. But a nurse went up to him and he and said, and he said, where's my wife? And he's holding a newborn. And she's, and um, she's like, oh, I think she's okay. And so he then got very upset and said, you think she's okay? You need to go figure out where she is and what's going on. Cause it's been longer than it should have been at this point on my end of things. Um, they get me into a room separate from where we were before. It seemed weird because they were isolating me. I was just by myself. Like I remember I kept passing out and I remember a doctor coming in trying to talk to me. And I remember being like, you know, like uh, Charlie Brown, like wah, 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 wah. And I couldn't understand. Like I kept nodding out. I kept, I couldn't focus. I didn't realize at that time that um, I lost so much blood that they put me separate from everyone else because they weren't sure what was going to happen. They weren't sure if I was going to, I guess, make it. So they kept me separate. I remember this uh, machine next to me kept alarming all the time. I was in the hospital for, for about four days. Well, we finally, I guess, got everything um, evened out. Everything was good. Yeah, four days later, it was a horrible traumatic experience for me. It took a very long time for me to heal from the C-section because I went through all of that trauma of pushing and trying to give birth. And then at the end of the day, getting an emergency C-section, losing way more blood than I was, I should have lost. Um, and then just keeping me in the dark. They didn't tell me anything. I didn't even find out that, that I was close to death until two years later. And I went to a holistic doctor because I was diagnosed, diagnosed with Hashimoto's. I had to forward the, all of the, my, uh, information and medical documents over to the, my holistic doctor. And, and it was literally a 30 page document of my birth of my son. And she's like, have you read this? Did you know that 
you almost died? I said, no, I didn't know, know any of this. I read it and sure enough, they nearly killed me. Um, just, just know that my second birth was way more uneventful and at a different hospital. And I was in the hospital for like 24 hours after a C-section. So, so that is my birth story. If any questions, just let me know. Thanks. Dude, that was so intense. First off, that kid's cool because he was born the day after my birthday. <laughs> so that means he's cool. That's crazy. How could people not tell you? Like what happened? To I you? mean, it's just bad care. God, that's intense. Also, like not telling your husband what's going on. I think she's okay. That that's shameful. While he's holding the newborn, like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Like, what? No, absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, gosh, it just shows you that while there are people out there and there are that are in the medical system that obviously care about their patients. There are hospitals out there that are <laughs> not great because that's terrible. I've never heard, which I don't know, maybe this is a thing, but I've never heard of somebody's water breaking and there being meconium in there and them not doing a C-section right away. When a baby is in distress, I've never heard of them say, okay, well, we're going to let you push for three hours and yeah, then maybe C-section. like 30 minutes and then see I've or never, something. Yeah, yeah. So sounds like somebody needs some schooling. I'm glad you went to a different hospital the next time. Yeah, but I totally understand why that was traumatic for her. That's just – Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm so glad that best case scenario, the baby and her um, were both okay. So Yeah, absolutely. Quite the, quite the experience. And I'm glad that she had a better birth experience for their second. And uh, she's a brave woman for wanting to have another after something like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Another another good another good one. I mean, it's like good, but it was like also bad and traumatic. But that was very <laughs> eventful is what I mean. Another eventful birth story. Um, you guys, if you do have birth stories, please call us at 844-844-MOMS and um, we are going to be doing one of these every single month. So it would be really fun to have y'all on here. Uh, we enjoy listening to them and I hope you do as well. Um, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and do questions from our Dear Mommies segment and that should be really fun. So let's take a quick break and we'll get to that. Let's jump into our Dear Mommy segment. Question number one. Okay. So this listener says, Dear Mommies, I really need advice on how to deal with a miscarriage. We have been struggling with secondary infertility for over two years. We have gone through eight rounds of treatment and IUIs, had surgery, and nothing is working. We finally got pregnant on our own miraculously and then had an early miscarriage. I am hardcore struggling and don't know how to cope with this. I feel like the world is caving in on me. To say it's rough is an understatement. Oh, I mean, first off, I'm so sorry you're going through that. You know, I've, I've never had a miscarriage. Jade, I know that you have, so you probably have more personal advice than this, but I do feel like there's always hope. You know, don't mm -hmm. let go of the hope. No, I think that's really good advice. And I also think it's okay to grieve it. I think it's just letting yourself 
grieve, you know, like holding space for yourself, holding space for the baby that you wish you could have known um, and just being being there for yourself in that way. Like it's such a hard thing to go through because it's like I feel like that's how it felt for me. It's somebody that I never got to know that I've always wondered who they would have been. So um, it's so hard. And I think holding on to the fact that there are a lot of women who have been where you are and reaching out for that support, finding somebody who you can trust to talk to about it and leaning in if you have a partner, leaning into your partner, which it sounds like this person does, and hopefully they're there for you. But really, I guess I just feel like it's so hard because this person went through two years of infertility and then this seemed like it was their hope and then it was taken away. So just know that – we're holding space for you too. And I hope that there's an answer out there for you, but it's okay. It's okay to just, to feel like the world is caving in and just surrendering to that and grieving it because it is, it is something to grieve. And I really do think that time is a healer and I just know that you'll be, you'll be able to get through this. You know, I've, I still think about my miscarriage six years later and I can still cry about it. So it's nothing that ever goes completely away, but I've been able to find peace and I've been able to honor that baby. I feel like finding a way that you can do something that is a way to honor that life is something that could be meaningful to you too. Yeah. I don't know. It's so hard. That's such a hard topic. That is a hard topic. Yeah. I feel like they're also the, you know, the one good thing about social media is that there's so many women groups now out there. And I'm sure there's a lot of groups that are talking and discussing miscarriage. And maybe that would be a good place to at least maybe go talk to some people and, and I don't know, maybe just read other people's stories and know that, you know, it's not just you going through it. Maybe it'll make you feel a little less alone. I don't even know if we answered that appropriately or not, but we we love you and we're sending you some healing vibes out there. Okay, number two, uh, what should I do about a sibling whose kid hurt or pick on my child at family gatherings that make get-togethers awkward? It's so funny because I feel like this – there's different ages that kids do this, you know, then they grow out of it and they don't do it anymore, but – like when my uh, my brother's coming into town at the end of the month and the oldest kid is like, he, he's just like, I don't, I don't even know how to describe him. He's so smart. He's like a rule follower, but he like likes to really tell Bella what to do and what's right and what's wrong. And so he'll be like, no, Bella, that is not the way you do this thing. Or like, you know, just like certain things. I'm like, dude, like, stop picking on Bella. Like she doesn't know you're older. You're clearly like way smarter than her. Like, and I just get like, uh, and then there's sometimes I'm like, yo, relax me. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I don't think there's anything wrong with being, if you're at a family gathering, I don't think there's anything wrong with being like, 
Like if I was like, hey, Zach, tell Finn to be nicer to Bella or, you know, vice versa. Hey, Bella, stop being mean to Finn. You know, like I don't think there's if you're at a family gathering and you're whoever gets mad at you for trying to even say like, hey, child, like that's not the nicest thing to do. Don't do that. I don't think that's bad. Would you go to your brother or would you? I do. Just anything. Tell- I don't think I care. I think I'd be like, Finn, you can't like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm like calling out Finn so bad right now. And he's like, not a bad kid at all. I'm just using it as an example because that's the closest I could come to this. But I've definitely said like, Finn, like you can't have all of the toys. Like you, you have to share. Like, I get that you want that. You got to share or whatever. But then I'd also be like, Zach, like Finn's like really having trouble like sharing today or something. I've done both. Yeah. But it also, I think, maybe depends on, like, if it was, like, a cousin and you're not that close to the cousin, maybe that would make it a little awkward. But I I don't think there's anything wrong for kind of standing up for a kid who's, like, maybe doesn't know how to stand up for themselves yet or whatever. And if it makes it awkward, then whatever. At least you're standing up for your kid. That cousin can think about their actions later and realize they were wrong. I think like sometimes you have to like step back a little bit and let kids figure it out, but there's also a time to interject. Yeah. And there's like, okay, like, okay, I let I watched you. I let you guys kind of try to figure it out. There's some boundaries that are being crossed. So as the adult here, I'm going to interfere. Yeah. I agree. You know? Yeah. Let them figure it out until they can't anymore. And then if it gets like violent or something, then just make it stop. Right. And maybe like remove them from each other for a minute. Like we're going to remove you guys from each other just to keep everybody safe. You know, like let's go do something else. And later you guys can play together again. And yeah, (laughs) we'll see how it goes. I can't wait to get a text from my sister-in-law, Elizabeth, being like, why are you calling Finn a bully? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, I swear. Listen, no toddler likes to share, really. No, so. and I, it's <laughs> the silliest thing. But I have been thinking about it. I'm like, oh, gosh, when they come, like, because it is always a thing. Like, do I, do you intervene? Do you not? But I'm also super close to my family. And I would never be offended if Elizabeth or Zach came to me and was like, Bella is, like, bullying Finn and Noah. Can you make her stop? I would be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Because no parent right. actually wants their kid to be doing that. Right. You know, they're going to feel like, oh, crap, I'm a bad parent even though you're not. (laughs) But yeah, I wouldn't be offended. Okay. The next one is, dear mommies, I'm a stay-at-home mom and I'm lonely. Help. Oh, gosh. I feel you. Man. It's It's a lonely place. It it, it is. Motherhood can feel lonely, period. And Staying at home when you're, if you're not, especially like I would, especially this last year and a half, like I hate talking about COVID, but like the isolation that everybody felt, you know, like you just do, you feel so lonely sometimes. And I, I personally struggle with this myself. I don't have really a lot of friends here. So I understand this. Like, and even when I've been invited to to things, I have gotten so much into my head about going that I often cancel and which is so counterproductive because I've been craving having connections with other moms and friends, but I get in my head and um, self-sabotage, but it's, it's, it's so hard. I don't, I think you're better. I feel like you're better at keeping connections with other people. I, I mean, it's, 
It's hard. I mean, there's texts even like every day. I'm like, I've got to text this person back. I've got to text this person back. Like, uh, but it's almost like, okay, so when I get someone inviting me out, I, if I can go, like if it's on a weekend when Evan has the kids, I really do like spending time by myself. Like I actually like my, like I'm my own best friend sometimes, but obviously this person has their kids all the time. So my situation is a little bit different, but I do like, if I get invited out on like a Saturday night, I'm like, yes, I'll go. And then I get to the same point as you. I'm like, oh God, it's like six o'clock. I'm supposed to go out at seven. Like I'd rather just sit here on the couch. And I'm like, no, don't. Because like, what are you going to remember? Like the times I've been sitting out on the couch watching Netflix or like the time that I actually got out last month and went out with girlfriends and like had a cocktail and like wore makeup and wore a cute outfit. Like that's what I'm actually going to remember. So I usually like have a glass of wine. When I start feeling the, oh, I don't know if I want to go, I have like a glass of wine while I'm putting my makeup on. And then I'm like, order the Uber, get out of the house. And I almost kind of force myself to do it. And even like phone conversations that with girlfriends just to like keep, you know, I'm like, oh gosh, like this person's calling. Like, I don't have time for this. I'm like, just answer. Because then at the end of the conversation, I feel like, I'm like, God, that was such a great conversation. It was so good to like have that time. But like at the very beginning of it, I was like so stressed out, like, oh, I don't want, I don't have time for this or whatever. But I honestly kind of just think like, even if it's a phone call or gosh, sit down at dinner and like, even if all your kids are there or whatever, like have like a glass of wine in the other room while your kids are eating on the high chairs and like call your girlfriend for like five minutes and just like do a quick catch up. I'm telling you like the end of a mom or best friend convo, like you really do feel better and you don't have to invest that much time. And you feel you do feel a little less alone because you've had just like an adult conversation for a minute. I will say that the couple times that I have been like out with other moms um, and have felt vulnerable, like, am my kids being too much or my kids being too crazy or, or am I, like, not being able to keep on top of things while trying to, like, have adult conversations? Mm-hmm. I've been really, really um, pleasantly surprised about, like, just how – like, watching moms help other moms. Oh, like, sure. Just, like, pitching in and, like, oh, I got I got your baby. You like, go to the bathroom. You can go- I got him. Yeah. yeah. And so – that's something that like I was like, oh, I can do this. But also if you're a stay-at-home mom and you feel like, where do I even where do I even find friends? Like if you're just at that stage where maybe you've lost touch with your other friends or they're in different life stages and they just don't understand. And you I really do like encourage like Facebook groups, uh, yeah. even our Facebook group for the podcast. I know moms have actually like met in person and become mm-hmm. real life friends. Apps like Peanut where you can find moms in your area that have – you can do like pick like I'd like to have – meet moms in my area that have children the same age or maybe like you have all boys so you want like a mom who has all boys too or whatever your like preferences are that make you feel the most comfortable. Even apps like that have been like I know really helpful for people. So I'm sure you're an amazing person and anyone would be lucky to have you as a friend. So – don't feel too down. Know your know your uh, your value, and I hope you reach out to try to find some friends because nobody deserves to feel alone in life. So I agree. Those apps really do help. I mean, it's like yeah. dating apps. You you kind of just have to like take the band aid off and like try it out. 
not that I'm doing that. So I should maybe take my own advice one day. But um, okay, number four. Sometimes I get so annoyed that my son needs me all the time and not my husband. But I prayed so hard for him and now I feel guilty. I'm not appreciate appreciating my blessing. She, I think, what I am being told here is that she's actually saying that she is annoyed because her son wants her all the time and she doesn't, and he doesn't want the husband. So this is what you do. You just hand him off and then you run away. <laughs> you go lock the bathroom door and you get into a bathtub and you just take that time. Yep. Another piece of brilliant advice from Carly Waddell. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> um, I don't know. What do you think, Jade? I have dealt with this, especially because Tanner claims – I'm not good with newborns, right. so always I'm holding my babies anyway. Right, and then like, and then I think they become obviously babies are hardwired to be connected to their mothers, yes. but also it's just like I feel like I'm always I'm always doing all the newborn stuff. Yeah. and thank God Tanner still he helps a lot with Brooks and Emmy, but there are times where I'm like I am touched out. Yeah, I oh yeah, am I. I'm up to here. Yeah. Like I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I need a I need a second. I need a second for myself. Right. I just need it. And even if Reed is upset or crying or whatever the situation may be, you do. You just have to be like, I'm sorry. You know, he's gonna have to just be with you right now. Yeah. And you just have to. Even like if your baby is crying, it's so hard because I know how it feels like you don't want your baby to be distraught. But like, they'll figure it. It out for 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, they'll figure it out. Your husband or partner or mother or whoever who's helping you can figure it out. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta have that time. It's not, it's not good for us to be burnt out all the time. Right. And I feel I feel burnt out a lot, but there are times where I'm like, I'm there. I'm there. I need to just go recharge, reset. And it's good. It's good for your baby to try to bond with somebody else, yeah, especially so someone true. who's an who's an important person in their life, you know? Yeah. So take the time. Don't burn out because that's not good for your baby either. When we're when we're feeling stressed, our babies can feel it. And Yeah, and like I feel like you have to fill yourself in order to like give, you know? So you can't give yeah. from like an empty glass. So it actually yeah. is really good for you to, even though you feel sad about it, it's really good for you to recharge because then you can give your best to everybody, including yourself. And if it's hard, just try baby steps. Maybe try it for yeah. five minutes, yeah. you know, like where you go and do something for yourself and and see how that feels and work work up to it if it, if it feels like it's anxiety for you to do something like that. Yeah, for sure. Well, you guys, that was our Dear Mommy segment for the week. I hope we gave you sound advice. Take it or leave it. We're not experts. <laughs> um, <laughs> but thank you so much for listening. We really love you guys so much. We are so thankful to have this podcast and be able to share our time with you. Also, if you have any questions for us, please send them in. Um, you can write us on our Instagram. You can write us personally on our Instagrams. You can uh, call in to 844-844-MOMS and leave your questions there as well. And we will try to answer them soon. All right. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye.